Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I've just completed a really delightful conversation with a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Ted Forkham. And Ted, he's just been an amazing part of my career and, and my wife Laura's career. He kept us going and we and it was a big reason of our longevity that we had in our careers and just uh, the body work that he did for us over the years. And in this conversation, we just we touch on so many things that are relevant for all of us to just try and keep the bodies going. We also look at the mindset and some of the traits of some of the champion athletes that he's worked with. He's basically worked with all the biggest names in uh, US track and field uh, for the past 20 years. He truly is a guy that knows he's around a, a sport, but also the biomechanics and the body really has been a gift for us to use as a part of our team for such a, a long time. I know I can't get to every question when it comes to Dr. Ted Forkham. There's so much there, but you can go to any question. He's on there, anyquestion.com forward slash Dr. Ted, Dr. Ted, or you can just download any question on your iOS or Android and you can um, go in and ask him any questions, listen to the answers that he's already got and go listen to the answers or ask other experts across the platform, anything that you want to know. But I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I I truly loved getting him on the show and just having this conversation. There's a lot in this one, so I think you'll enjoy it. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today I'm joined by one of the greatest bodywork specialists in the world. His resume is truly immense. U.S. Olympic team head chiropractor, U.S. track and field world championships medical team, events physician for the U.S. track and field trials and national championships, U.S. taekwondo, U.S. triathlon national championships, Nike Masters games, U.S. soccer, figure skating, canoe and kayaking, and the list goes on and on. He's a diplomat of the American Chiropractic Board of Sports Physicians and a diplomat of the American Chiropractic Rehabilitation Board. He's a certified kinesio tape practitioner, Graston Technique certified, certified exercise specialist, performance exercise specialist, and is a registered trigenics practitioner. That's a mouthful. That was a lot. That was an absolute lot. I, but honestly, more than all of that, I've been blessed to have him as a part of my team for the better part of a decade. And to me, he was more than a bodywork specialist. He was a mentor and a friend. And it's an honor and privilege just to have him join me. So welcome. And thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Dr. Ted Forkham, how are you, mate? Doing great. Thank you so much, Greg. It's always great to talk to you. Mate, it's, uh, it's been, been a little while. Where, where are you at the moment? And see, I'm in Portland, Oregon, overlooking the city, looking straight north at uh, Mount St. Helens. Oh, beautiful. And so not world. a bad vantage point where I'm at right now. I've always loved going out and, and visiting you and just going for runs. I remember one time with Laura, we, we said, oh, we were staying with you. And we said, oh, we're going to go for a run, a little jog. And we ended up running for hours. Um, it, it's just such a beautiful part of the world to put on a pair of shoes and just run through the forest. I love that part of the world. Yeah, it's pretty green. I think at the time that you're out, though, the trails are dry. So it does give you a little bit different perspective than running and jumping like hip scoping around uh, mud puddles <laughs> during uh, a good percentage of the year. But, uh, but I do love it. Well, you and I, I think we first got connected about 2005, I believe. And I was seeing Dr. Alex Keith down here in Florida and, um, was having some feet issues. And he said, there's one guy, there's only one guy that you have to work with. And his name's Dr. Ted Forkham. And I was like, all right, I'll give the guy a call. And I called you up 
And you were the kind of guy, you just said, yeah, Greg, fly out to Portland, come and stay with me. And I think I ended up staying, I don't know, three to four days, I think. And, and you, you treated me in between patients and we'd never met before, but you offered up, you know, a room in your house. And that's just the kind of guy you are. I mean, was it just me or are you doing that with all your athletes? <laughs> well, you're definitely special. No question about that. <laughs> but I have done that with a, uh, with a number of athletes, but you know, you and Laura are completely a different animal than most people. And I think anyone that sits on a, that listens to your podcast will pick that up quickly. Oh, I mean, you were so much fun to be around and I, I kind of think about this whole podcast and Greg, your brain has to be getting huge with all this knowledge that you're getting. <laughs> I just listened to all the people that you're interviewing and, and all this wisdom that's coming out. It's, it, I can't imagine. I was thinking about that too. You probably wish that you had started this podcast early on in your pro career because you've gotten so many great tips on how to how to optimize and maximize your performance. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been pretty interesting, the people that I've had on. I'd love to say that all that information is stuck. Unfortunately, <laughs> my brain is not a sponge. I have to keep going through the process of training it, training it, and training it. It's a bit like my athletic career. It's like a, it's a constant. But I have been absolutely, truly blessed with the amount of people of just exceptional people that are willing to come on and, and have a conversation with me. And, and also yourself, I put in that boat. And it was like... It, what really triggered me recently, uh, you know, you and I have spoken this last year going, yeah, we got to get you on the show. And recently, last week, actually, beginning of last week, I picked up a book called Shoe Dog. And if people haven't read it, it's <laughs> the story of Phil Knight and Nike. And it was just fantastic. I think I, I got through it in like about 36 hours and uh, absolutely loved it. And I was like, you know, with your involvement with so many Nike athletes and the last time I think we were out there, you took me to the campus, the Nike campus, and we actually went and did a little bit of shopping in the store there. It was fantastic. But I was like, after reading that book, I'm like, okay, now I got to get Ted on because it's just, there's too many stars aligning. That's a pretty amazing book for anyone who's kind of, I, I think to me, it's just an iconic history in sports influence in sports. I mean, just if you think about what, how Nike has changed the industry. Yeah. Uh, it's just massive. Yeah. Just massive. It's not only a sports industry, but the entrepreneurial mindset. It's like this... Um for us, you know, with Ed, Ed Baker and I, with at any question and we're building this team and we're building this product and brand and I'm like, okay, this is a must read for anybody on our team because it's just the energy behind what they did and the passion in which they did it. You know, Phil Knight was just, and Bob Bauman, you know, his, his sidekick, they were just so passionate about what they wanted to achieve. And that passion just resonates all the way through the book. And he tells everything, you know, and I, I love that and, I, and all the struggles that went with it and everything else. But honestly, I'd put it as one of my favorite, you know, top five sort of books. I, I just think it was absolutely fantastic. One of the things I like about it is the fact that he, you know, he discusses well, things that aren't necessarily favorable. So he, he's not giving you all the sweet goodness of the history of Nike. Mm -hmm. he, he discusses some of that, you know, the downfall, some of the things that, you know, people may not look favorably on as well. So yeah. I, I think that's, uh, you know, unabashed honesty is, is fantastic. Yeah. And, and a lot of those people in that book are kind of people that I know historically. So to me, it's kind of, it's great to see the other side of the conversation, so to speak. So it's really interesting. Mate, as I was listening for it, I was waiting for your name to be dropped at any one moment. I know yeah, you've been yeah. in that world for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that predates me. However, <laughs> when I was in sixth grade, I would ride my bike to a shoe store and uh, put away in 
shoes and lace shoes uh, as a trade for Nike Spites. And so that was a uh, blue ribbon sports at the time. And so it was uh, it was kind of interesting to see that evolution going from Asics, or at that time as Onasuka Tiger, mm. to what is now Nike. So it was that, that transition of the, the Nike Cortez, uh, that first shoe that came out. And it was pretty interesting. Given my first shoe was a uh, Kmart knockoff of a Condor's All-Star. That was my first running shoe. <laughs> I think we all had those. Actually, Laura and I were talking about the shoes that we first started, and I think all of us had those tigers. You know, they were those blue with the white with the white stripes going down the side of them. The Nike, the the, the tiger spikes. Right. Oh yeah. The, you know, the, the long long grass spikes that were almost half an inch long, two centimeters long, or something, and running in on the grass fields with those. And then all of a sudden. It was this waffle racer. You know, there was a waffle trainer, but these waffle racers came out and everybody was just all about Nike in that, that kind of early to mid-80s, maybe mid-80s, I think it was really impacted me anyway as a kid. But I, I don't know. I, I, it's a fantastic book. Um, it is one that I highly recommend people just pick up if they love sport, if they love business, if they love entrepreneurial. Um, there's just so much in that one to unpack. So, yeah, loved it. Those Nike waffles impacted me in the uh, in the mid and late seventies with South Eugene being the first high school team to to wear them, and they just crushed us in the state meet. Is that right? It's a, it's a muddy day, and they just like it seemed like they floated on top of the mud, and, and a lot of people just you know they post hole in the mud and they blew shoes, and <laughs> and they just absolutely crushed everyone else. It was a dominating team. That's awesome. I, yeah, it's uh, so many great mem- memories about all of those products. But, well, let's do this. Let's start by um, rewinding the clock a little bit, which is what I love to do with really most of my guests because I always enjoy the journey. And, and just sort of understanding when you sort of found your passion for, you know, chiropractic and body work and all the things that you're doing and, and, and how that kind of evolved over time. For me, my high school coach kind of taught me uh, – Mainly, she kind of guided me out of uh, a profession. So I had interest in kind of going into teaching and coaching. And and uh, he sat me one down, uh, still remember the day. Uh, well, it was a cloudy, rainy day, which could have almost been any day in Oregon, I guess. Uh, I just remember in the locker room, is kind of uh, I would run uh, double. So I'd run in the morning, run in the afternoon, and he'd sit down with me in the, in the morning and, and chat. And he wasn't a man of a lot of words, but he would sit down and say one or two, and it'd usually be meaningful. And, you know, he talked to me about what my plan was out of high school and and uh, as a career. And I said, oh, I'd love to go to, you know, be a teacher and go into coaching. And he looked at me and said, you'll be horrible at it. <laughs> like, what? You are going to be horrible at that job. You'll be so bored that <laughs> you'll go nuts. And uh, that kind of redirected me a little bit. And so from there, I was fortunate enough to be part of a research project for a chiropractic student, which introduced me a little bit to chiropractic, but I really still didn't quite know what it was. He would just do soft tissue treatment on us uh, before events, which was at that time was pretty painful and deep, which, you know, you as an elite athlete, you've. I'm sure gone through plenty of mm. uh, massage sessions like that, as well as treatment <laughs> sessions, some of which may have been at my hands. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I had a little introduction to chiropractic there, but still really didn't know quite what it was. And, and I went to undergraduate college. I got sick and had to drop a class. And when I did that, my department chair, because at that time I was going pre-med, the department chair came to me and said, well, yeah, we'll let you drop these classes, but uh, next quarter, you're going to have to be our student athletic trainer. 
because we're starting a program and there are only four people in the campus that qualify for the program and you're one of them. So you had to have what's called care and prevention and organic chemistry and not many people had that combination. So <laughs> that, that directed me into athletic training, which I was very thankful for because I really loved that work as an athletic trainer. But part of that role, I had to follow around four different healthcare practitioners. And so I followed around a physical therapist, an orthopedic surgeon, a podiatrist, and a chiropractor. At the end of the day, I hate, I hate counting for people. It's kind of a petty thing, but I kind of feel like, wow, you're going to pay me to stand there and count. I feel like, you know, people can count on their own if they're self-motivated <laughs> and uh, I don't need to count your reps for you. No. You know, I, I might help you count cadence. I have no problem with that, but you know, to count to 30, I, I feel like, you know, they don't need to pay me yeah. a lot of money to do that. And uh, the podiatrist, I really enjoyed, but uh, I felt that they were self-limited by just the region. I felt there is more to what's going on than just the foot and ankle mm. and the orthopedic surgeon. It was a situation. I found it really interesting. I think I have good skill sets for that. I like carpentry and construction and orthopedic surgeons have good skills in that area, but the patient relationship was very different than what I was looking for. Mm. I wanted to be able to have a more of an ongoing relationship. And I like the idea of performance care adverse to, you know, changing out parts. The other thing too, is that I, as working as a student athlete trainer, I'd send injured athletes off to get treated by these people. And the people that went to the chiropractor, I found, came back during the season and then they were able to compete and have successful seasons versus the people that kind of went the other directions. Oftentimes, that was the end of their career. And granted, some of them had a higher magnitude of injury when they, you know, you're getting a, an ACL repair and so forth. But uh, for some of the other conditions, I just found chiropractic just to be really effective. And and that kind of allowed me to kind of dive a little deeper into looking at the profession and seeing, wow, it's, you know, it's more than just treating an injury. There are other ways of optimizing health that are part of mm. part of the picture of bigger scope of chiropractic care. And you're kind of looking, you know, most people think of it as just a spine, but really you're looking at the entire musculoskeletal system as well. There's a lot of neurology and, and physiology that you can dive into to, uh, get a positive effect out of person. Mm. So I, I, I like it. it. It's a never ending journey of learning, which is the other thing. I well, that's, that, was, that was almost what I wanted to just ask you, because I love how you've just dissected and broken down to figure out that that's how you wanted to become a chiropractor, but it's, you, you're so much more than, I don't want to say just a chiropractor, because that, that's not what I mean. I, I think being a chiropractor is exceptional, but you say, you come across as someone who just loves to learn and is always curious and open to sort of new ideas. I guess, you know, with that, you know, how much has that mindset, you know, benefited you going forward? I think that's a huge component of success of anyone, really. Mm. Mm. Uh, there's a gentleman that I used to work for actually in a shoe store, and he, he would constantly say the day you stop learning is really the day you die. Mm. And I, I truly believe that. And I think curiosity is a requirement for anyone who's going to be successful, whether it's business or athletics. You have to have that curiosity and drive, whether it's an athlete just being curious to see how much you can push yourself. Well, what are your limits? Hmm. Or as a entrepreneur to, you know, being curious to finding figuring out what's a solution for, you know, whatever problem presents itself. And a lot of people don't realize that they have a problem until they've you know, some solutions have been presented to them. There's so many times that I've 
worked with a patient, they go, I had no idea that was a problem. You know, that, that was painful there. And, and like, where, where did that come from? You just and, need to get yourself, you just need to be married, mate, and they'll point out all your yeah. problems. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, been there, done that. So. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, I didn't realize I had all those problems, but thank you for pointing them out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, uh, and yeah, there's constant learning there, right? Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, I mean, you did what very well with Laura. Oh, thanks, oh my man. Gosh. I know I, I have. You. I get told that by all my mates consistently that I'm, I'm punching well above, above my weight, and I, oh, I, I don't deny yeah. it. I don't deny it. I, I, I'm very fortunate. But what a challenge. Laura is so, I mean, she's brilliant. I mean, she was so inquisitive and so knowledgeable. I hope I don't breach anything saying this, but, you know, working with her, I had to make sure I slept well the night before because the quality of questions that she would, oh, yeah. you know, pump out there is like I have to be on my A game with Laura every time. <laughs> I always feel <laughs> I always feel for the practitioners on the other side. Laura comes very prepared, whether it's nutrition or body work or whatever. She she's a talk about a constant learner and wants to just know everything. Um, I, I've kind of said a lot of coaches wouldn't like working with her because she'll question everything. If you're going to tell her to do a certain workout, she'll want to know why, you know, and it's like, uh, and not to say she's complaining about doing, she just wants to know why, you know, why is it going to work? Why is this approach the right way? I, I think that's a really important factor. I think that was a question on any question is that someone approach, mm-hmm. approach and I really believe that. And, you know, the word physician is, is kind of Latin translates into teacher. And eh. I think that's a big part of our job. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. My, my high school coach steered me out of teaching, but at the end of the day, that's really a lot of what I do. I, I mean, I, I teach postgraduate for other doctors and physical therapists and sports practitioners. And, and I feel like that's what I do day in, day out with, with patients mm. is that you're teaching them the why, because if you're like me and possibly Laura, you're probably not going to do what you're asked to do unless you know why. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a huge motivating factor. And, and to me, I always like to paint the picture of what's taking place physiologically with the patient. So kind of in their mind's eye, mm-hmm. they, they can see or look at what their goal is, whether it's, you know, auditory, visual, or, or tactile. So I'm kind of looking to find something that they can, you know, wrap their, their head around that will allow them to see progression change and, and what their goal is in that process. You know, understanding this kind of learning mindset, I mean, I guess how much of you know, the greats. And, and when I say the greats, you've worked with the greatest athletes on the planet. Um, if everybody can just visualize some of the greatest track and field athletes for certain, um, you've had your hands on them. Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> in, in some respect, you know, at a part of their career in either a proactive or reactive way, depending on where they were at their career. But I, talking more about you know, what did they all have in common? What are some of the traits that the greats have all had in common? Has there been anything or are they all very different from each other? Huh. You know, I, I think it, they're different depending upon what event they're in. Mm. And, uh, you know, if we're talking about the sprinters, you know, uh, this is maybe a little more of a graphic description, but, you know, we're all meat. I mean, we're, let's face it, we're all a different cut of meat. Mm-hmm. And the great sprinters, uh, the texture of their tissue it's like a fillet. You know, if you think about going to a quality steakhouse and you can just kind of fillet with a fork, it's really interesting. Big, 
you know, dense muscle, but it's the tissue of it. So if anyone barbecues out there, you know how you check <laughs> yeah. the difference between a, a well done and medium rare. And, you know, there is, you know, they don't have well done meat on that body. Huh. It's all, it's all rare and medium rare. So in other words, you know, their, their tissue is very pliable and very, very elastic. And, wow. you know, and you get into some of the other sports where, you know, they're taking a few hits and, there's a little bit more gristle involved, but the endurance athletes, I find that their, their tendon structures, it just amazes me how much energy they can store into their long tendon structures compared to the power masses that come out of the sprinters. But there, there's also huge differences in, in addition to the, to the physical attributes, but the mental attributes are very different. Tons of bravado within the, you know, the, the power sports and the versus the endurance sports. Uh, it was always kind of funny. I'd walk out into my front waiting room and there's a guy that's going to be on seriously. It'd be like two or three cell phones at the same time. This, uh, this actually uh, in my mind's eye, I'm going back to a specific incident. And uh, then in the like two seats over, there's a person who's reading this like five to 700 page novel. <laughs> and uh, you know, not that, you know, that was like the difference between your sprinter and your, your endurance athlete. <laughs> For sure. It's, it's kind of funny. Not that sprinters are not academic. It's just a different breed and different animal. Yeah. They, they, they go, go, go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. It's, you know, it's like the, and, and kind of one of the other things that I think found was with all great athletes and it's something that certainly when I was competing, I had no clue on. And that is the importance of recovery. Most athletes can train hard. Some never find that depth of how deep they can go, but most athletes can really train hard. I, I really think the key is, is how fast you can recover in between your sessions so you can train hard again. And, and I think of great athletes being like the, you know, the lion in the desert. You know, they go after their kill, mm -hmm. and they plow it down, and then they're just lounging around until it's time to, to go you know, hunt again. And, and I think that so many people in the, that are not in the professional world don't recognize how important that recovery aspect is getting quality sleep. You know, there's a lot that comes into that sleep in terms of messing with your physiology, you know, getting a big bump in growth hormone through the course of the night is enormous for your recovery. But if you're not sleeping well, that bump is going to be mitigated or, or, uh, or non-existent. It's funny you, you mentioned that because I've just had Jan Ferdino on last week and Jan, when I've had Jan's coach on, uh, Dan Lorang and Dan Lorang said, oh, when I first started working with Jan, I was, his physiology and his results were all very underwhelming. And then when I had Jan on last week, he said, yeah, my, my greatest gift is my ability to recover quickly. So he's able to get that more work in. So it's, it's, it's interesting when you, you now bring up the importance of recovery that, you know, if you want to keep turning up every single day, you've got to be able to getting the, the things like sleep and nutrition and everything right. But there are some people that maybe at a DNA level are just recovering quicker and rebuilding quicker, do you think? You know, I think that's a huge part to it. I think that I believe that athletes are both born and made. And uh, there, there are a lot of great athletes. And I don't necessarily think that the greatest athlete gets the gold medal. Uh, and it was a conversation I had with Ed Ryan who is a former uh, medical director for the U S Olympic committee. And we were talking about this and, you know, I think the, the great athletes are kind of the people that don't get in their own way. So they don't make repeated. I mean, we all make mistakes, but they don't make repeated errors. 
they, they learn quickly from their mistakes and what works and what doesn't work. Mm. Uh, they, they're not like a bee that keeps hitting the, the plate class time and time again, and there's no change. But so many times that we'll see, a, you know, a super, super talented athlete, just crazy things will happen. I've, I've got one specific incident in mind. It's like, okay, right before the Olympic trials, they step on a, uh, like a, a matchbox or a hot wheels car, <laughs> you know, like a kid's car. You have kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Step, stepped on that, oh. you know, hurt his, hurt his foot slipped. Not that those things can be prevented, but it's like, Oh, you know, if you have kids, you have to be as an elite athlete, you have to be very careful how you move around all that stuff. It's <laughs> not like the average person who can just, you know, waddle through and okay. I step on it. I mean, I have a sore throat for a while. But if you're talking about days before your major competition, that's your, that's your nut. That could be your cash holdings for the rest of your life. And, and uh, you don't want to have stepping on a Lego or a matchbox <laughs> get in your way. I had Mark Weber on, and I know you're a kind of motorsport fan, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's ex-Formula One driver for Red Bull and won Monaco several times. And uh, anyway, good mate of mine. He came on the on the show, oh, almost two years ago, I think, uh, COVID had broken out already. By the way, that was one of my favorite. Oh, it was? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. I got to get him back on. I got to get him back on. But he, um, his, the big takeaway from that episode was that the greats know how to adapt quickly and often. And, uh, right. and I think in that motorsport world, they're all trying to adapt, you know, quickly and often you know, whether that's in a, in a race of itself or the teams are reacting and doing and rebuilding themselves quickly. And, and it was something that I actually took away a lot from that one. It was, uh, there's been episodes where I think some of the guests have really talked about resilience and consistency, but that episode, it was really about the ability to adapt and adapt quickly. And from what you're saying, that's what you've seen with many of the great athletes you've worked with. They can adapt even if they tread on a Lego a couple of days before they figure it out, right? I mean, it's like, right, okay, right. it's not perfect, but they can they can get going. Well, and, you know, that really, I, I worked for the PGA Tour for, you know, five years, and, and I think that comment really shines true, especially with the great athletes there. Yeah. Uh, you would see people who would, you would just watch them mentally collapse over the fact that a, and, and this, I'm going to pull out, yeah, an example that's a true example that I witnessed. It's like I'm replaying it in my brain that I, I watch this guy completely unfold because a pine needle dropped on the, the fairway as he was putting. So his ball deviated. It, it forced another another stroke. But that pine needle totally collapsed the rest of his tournament. He just felt like it was bad luck and just spir- spiraled from there. Adverse to you know, persevering and pushing through. And it's like, Hey, stuff happens. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you watch a triathlete and they get a flat. It's like, what do you do? It's like, yeah, you know, you're an Ironman, you get a flat. Well, you take care of it and get back, back out. There. It's easier said than done though. Isn't it? It's funny. You know, you, oh, you, you, my gosh. you mentioned golf and, and I, um, I think of golf and tennis. I, I like both of them because, you have so much time in between your next move, you know, whether that's in in golf, it's a new stroke or in tennis, it's a new point and you have to re get yourself going. And a little side story here, Laura and I play tennis a lot together. Now, this is what we get to do once or twice a week. And we're very comparable. We warm up literally for about three to five minutes and then it's game on. Right. And this is the athletes in us. And I like to put myself like I, we want to beat each other. We, we play for every point, right? And it's amazing how often we do come out very 
close to similar. Um, and it's actually not fun if one of us is doing so much better than the other, which we've had those days as well. And we both go, yeah, that wasn't fun because one of us was off our game. But when we're both on and it's just so much fun, but I find myself even in between points having to do that whole self-talk and, you know, you got this, but if you go, I'm going to double fault this, you do, you immediately double fault. But if you can just get your head together, and this is just Laura and I playing with nothing on the line. I just, I look at those sports where they have to re reboot, get themselves back to neutral quickly. You know, it's incredible to watch them do it. it, it, We don't have to explore that as much in triathlon. Once a gun goes, yes, we might get a puncture and things don't get our way, but generally you're in a groove compared to these sports where you got to get yourself back to neutral over and over again. I will. I I think of like Ironman, you're out there for a long stretch and I think, you know, some athletes, you can get momentary mind wander and then you have to mm. peel your mind back. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not in a pack and you're off on your own, uh, then I can see that being a problem. But I'm still like stuck in the visual of you and Laura <laughs> playing tennis together. And I just see like kind of like a, a war out there. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing, mate. She she right. picked, she picked the wrong sport at triathlon. She is such an athlete. And I know you've worked on her, her body, but in terms of athleticism, like I'm a, I'm a bit of a bull at a gate, you know, and uh, Dr. Alex Keith would call me the bumblebee or whatever, you know, and <laughs> it's like, I, I just like, I love the hard work. I love taking myself to the edge and just staying there. But in terms of that true athleticism and the ability to move and reach and speed and, and just make it look effortless, that's Laura. You know, I, I, I don't have that whole male ego thing with the man and the wife. I, I look at my wife and I just go, well, that's just pure athleticism there. And I get to watch it and get beaten up by her on the tennis court often. <laughs> right. No, I, I can see, I can see that uh, she could crush it. Yeah, easily. she does. She's got, <laughs> she's got those long limbs. And I think she's never going to make that. And not only does she make it, she does a cross court winner. I'm like, what? <laughs> A quick mini break just to remind you to go check out Any Question. You can download it at iOS or Android or you can go to anyquestion.com forward slash drted or forward slash drted and you can find him there. How much of your, you know, just shifting gear here a little bit, how much of what you do is sort of, you know, prevention versus treatment, you know, that proactive keeping, trying to get more out of bodies versus reactive where you're just trying to get somebody that's maybe had a bit of a falter. So that varies depending upon, you know, where I'm working. And uh, so if I'm in a clinical situation, that's probably like, uh, oh, I would say 60, 40 to 70, 30, where I'm actually treating someone for an injury versus doing prevention. When I walk into a locker room, it's probably... 50, 50 when I go to, mm. until it's like the day before an event. Then if I go day before the event, then it's a lot more, I call it tuning. Yep. So you're doing a tune up and you're fine tuning, making sure that all the muscles are firing. You have complete range of motion. You have good stability and good alertness. And, but then when we come down to say an event like an Olympic trials, it's probably in the range of 80, 20 to 90, 10. That is all performance care. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that's actually yeah, it, how, how we would have utilized you, I think, with all those numbers. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, the performance care is so much fun. I mean, that's that really kind of drives me. I, I just love that fine-tuning. Mm. There's something that, you know, unfortunately, many amateur athletes never get to experience. Mm. You know, there are several age groupers that I've 
you know, had the pleasure of, of working at that level with, but, you know, it's just kind of getting that extra, you know, 5% of, out of a muscle to fire or to activate on time. Athletes are, are amazing because they can perceive specific changes, especially individual athletes, not necessarily like a team athlete. I work for a hockey team as well. And, you know, you do something really fine tuned and then they get cross-checked and it's like, well, what happened to what the work that we just did? <laughs> you, just, you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, but, in, you know, and, and, you know, triathlon, you know, cycling, track and field, uh, swimming, you know, those sports, uh, the athletes have such great body awareness. And I kind of learned this early on in track and fields. I had an athlete, a pro truth came down and, and he's going, yeah, when I'm running down the runway, I'm feeling my right thigh drift out five millimeters <laughs> on my knee lift. And, you know, immediately I'm going, right. It, well, one, he was telling me what was wrong in his back because of it. And I'm kind of right, right, right. Like, sure. And, uh, yeah, he was spot on. <laughs> I learned quickly that elite athletes, one, they've gone to some of the best people in the world. And two, they have such great body awareness. Mm -hmm. And actually that kind of drove me to the other concept and how I look at patient care too, is that really most people kind of have an idea what they have. They just don't know what word to put on it or what to exactly how to how to deal with it. Mm. Do you find some athletes have a better sense of feel than others? I mean, you're saying all elite. I'm certainly not one that has a great sense of feel, whereas Laura's almost the other extreme. Her sense of feel is off the chart, but I almost feel like we both benefit and it's a benefit and a curse in for both of us. You know, mm. having no feel means I can be a bullet again and go, go, go. And I don't, I don't notice anything. I don't notice pain. I don't notice any, I can just go, go, go until it's over. Whereas Laura notices, Ooh, you know, my little pinky toe is slightly out of place here and I need to get some work done to get it right. <laughs> right, right. No, absolutely. It, it is kind of funny because there are a few of those differences. And I go back to the situation, the Beijing Olympics, I worked on two patients, the exact same condition mm. and uh, asked both of them to go out and do a very similar run. And one came back and they asked them how their run was. And they thought, Oh, you know, during the, the last third of the climb motion of the foot strike, I feel my fifth toe slightly deviate laterally. So that, you know, for anyone else, that means that the, your smallest toe, you're feeling it shift during what amounts to about one eighth of your stride cycle, you know, between <laughs> your foot being in the air and your foot being on the ground. And it's just really precise. So the other athlete who had the exact same condition, I, I asked him, you know, well, how'd your run go? And he goes, oh my gosh, Ted, you should have seen it. It was so beautiful out there. These flowers there in bloom. This path is amazing. Totally unaware of his foot or even oblivious to what I was asking about, which was his injury. So <laughs> <laughs> striking. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, the thing is, is that, okay, so he's a person who's been a, a multi world champion and gold medalist. And, mm. uh, fact, I, he medaled in, in those games. And, you know, the, the woman was very successful in her event. She's a, a, a medalist and world champs. And, mm -hmm. you know, so you can be great, but I, I do think that there can be dangers in knowing too much. I think as an athlete, you need to know enough, mm. but you know, knowing too much can make you overthink things. And that can, you know, at times paralyze you from just, kind of enjoying the day and going out and you, you have this opportunity to do what most of us do for fun as a profession. 
<laughs> I know it's so incredible that we, you know, for many of us, we got to have that experience. But you're right. There's that whole paralysis by analysis type thing that just goes on. You're overthinking it. The anxiety increases all of a sudden. That mental anxiety then affects the physical. Suddenly you got an Achilles injury you didn't even know about, and you're kind of like, well, how much of that was all the other stresses in my life? And personally, I believe they all correlate. I just, you know, if you're in a happy place, if you're in a good spirits, if you're neutral in terms of getting yourself out of negative environments and just get yourself to neutral. It's amazing how the physical body can start to feel a little bit better as well. But that's a whole nother discussion. We can, that's, that's you know, a rabbit hole we can go down. But <laughs> No, it, it's, it's absolutely huge though. I agree with that hundred percent. I yeah. think that keeping that mindset has a huge physiological play on you and mm. as well as your physiological, you know, the, the health of your body has a big effect on your mental oh, aspect. So absolutely. They go hand in hand yeah. and there are only so many things you have control over, but learning to, stress the things that you have control over and not stressing the things you don't have control over, I think is a big lesson that that's a, a takeaway. So, you know, when that flight gets delayed and you have no control over it, you know, Hey, you're going to do what you have to do and take the next flight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It might get you the, the event a little bit late, but that's just, you know, the way it is. Adaptability. There it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> control, control what you control, adapt and move on. A hundred percent. And you know, you know, Sweat the stuff that are big yeah. that you have control over. Yeah, well, you know you know about this year, you know, last year with our little one with the rattlesnake bite, you know, and how that just changed my perspective on everything. And I don't know if I, I think I did share it on this podcast at some point. So I apologize if people have heard it, but it was basically, you know, my, my three-year-old gets bitten by a rattlesnake, scariest week of our lives, you know, his parents is just awful. And, and then I was meant to be going to Slovakia to commentate uh, the Collins Cup. And I looked at my passport, it expired on the Friday before leaving on the Tuesday, you know, and I was like, oh, oh well, I guess I'm not going. And my, my perspective in the past would have been, ah, freaking out. And now I'm like, eh, whatever, my, my three-year-old's alive and whatever, somebody else can do the commentary. I got it all sorted. It ended up being very smooth sailing in the end. And uh, I think a lot of that was just my mindset as well. It's like, yeah, whatever. You know, that podcast, I was, I got the backstory on the rattlesnake bike that I didn't hear from it, from my side. So it was really, I thought it was fascinating. I, I loved it because, you know, again, I got to see the other side of the picture from that story. And a lot of it, I, I had no idea yeah. everything else that you guys were going through. I mean, <laughs> just mind boggling. And it, I know this is a podcast, so listeners can't see Greg and Laura's children, but I, I just want to put a warning out there. If you do look up Greg and Laura's children, you know, and see the family photo, if you're diabetic, you may want to reconsider because these kids are so sweet. They could put you in the, <laughs> <laughs> your insulin might need to get bumped up if you look at these photos. These kids are just so adorable. I'm so uh, fortunate. The uh, our daughter looks so much like Laura, you know, and it's like oh, that's so great. And a there, there are a couple of videos that she sent that just crushed me. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I know it, it, they come across in photos as adorable. They they are adorable but obviously anybody that's a parent out there knows that boy being a professional athlete was tough but being a parent of a four and a two-year-old is brutal (laughs) (laughs) don't get me wrong i'm not going to change anything everybody i do love it but it's uh for everybody out there parenting i'm with you man it's it's uh it's it's got its ups and downs but so so now i've I've got a question for you so what what lessons from your pro career have you taken into parenting? I think the biggest one, and I touched on this earlier, is, you know, that consistency. So the key, just keep showing up. And, and then I think we also touched on it is like, um, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't. It's like, 
I, I said on an episode a few weeks ago, you know, my mum used to say, you know, I just want to get you boys to average. You know, I was one of three boys. Just want to get you boys to average. And I was always like, you know, as a high performance athlete, that sounded like a terrible, you know, way to look at life. But, right, right, right. But, but I do think there's something about that of lowering the expectation bar a little bit, you know, and being able to step over it a little bit more consistently. Um, stop trying to get your kids to perfect um, and just you know, just little steps, little steps of improvements and things and, and, and learning. But honestly, just keep showing up, be present. That's, that's a big one. I think just done is better than perfect kind of mentality. <laughs> you know, it's like lower the expectations. I, I don't have kids. I have a dog, Yeah, but, uh, but I do work with kids. So I see parenting and I, I, I love public health and the aspects and, and youth sports safety. But one of the things that I kind of think about is that you know, as an endurance athlete in particular, you know, there are going to be points in your race where you, you're feeling really horribly and it feels like everyone's like running away from you. And then you, you know, cycle back and they go through their horrible cycle and you start to, yeah. to feel like you're crushing it again. And I just feel like, uh, you know, I see my friends go through this with parenting as, you know, times when they've got some pretty big lows with their kids. And I, th- I think as an athlete, you know, that you can come back from, from that and actually, you know, that's a really good point. That's a fa- I was actually just chatting with uh, Laura this week about that. It's like, I've gone, I go several nights quite often where I only get between three and six hours of sleep. Now that that's either because of me or the kids getting me up or whatever it is. Right. And my mentality is, this is why I don't, you know, wear sleep measuring devices and things because I just, I look at weekly sleep or, or, you know, every sort of, how much sleep am I getting over a week or 10 days? And if I get a few seven or eight hours in there every now and then, well, they're my makeup sleeps and they get me back to neutral. I know that I can get like, even today, as we record this last night, I probably got about four hours, um, broken sleep and you just go, yeah, but I'm going to feel fine today. Tomorrow I could be a bit tired. It's a bit recognize that if you can grab a 20 minute nap in the day, you'll be fine. Having that kind of a mentality that don't draw massive conclusions for one day, you know, it's like, it's all encompassing. It's the training you did for, you know, weeks, months and years that matter. And it's the same with sleep. It's the same, same with parenting. It's like, just, you can keep kind of just don't write off a day just because you had one day of bad sleep. Or, you know, that kind of a mindset anyway. I completely <laughs> agree with that. Because there are so many athletes that don't sleep well the night before competition. Oh, they yeah. go out and crush it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, but but that, you know, three to six hours sleep, that just reminded me of like working Beijing. Yes. And like yeah. five, five weeks of uh, <laughs> like three to three to, uh, I mean, a long night was five hours. And it was just, it was a, a long haul. Yeah. But, uh, but I, but, you know, I, if you're getting that limited sleep, I just think that you'd hit the it on the head is that, okay, I'm going to get a 20 minute nap in there during the course of the day. And so finding some place in that course of the day to regroup, I think is super important for, for capturing that. And I think we talked about that too. I'll, I use a, a, a PEMF device, mm. which is a pulse electromagnetic frequency mat. They mm. have these things that yeah. you can lay on as a whole bed. You also have them to where you can use a high powered one to treat specific injuries. And, and I kind of use that to, to cheat that recovery system when you lay on this, I, I would describe the physics, but it, it's uh, a little hard to describe over audio. But in a nutshell, what it's going to do is circulate polarized items in your body, and the most polarized, you know, element is going to be oxygen. So it's going to sh- move oxygen around through your system without the requirement of cardiac output. In areas that maybe have limited circulation, it's going to help move that around as well. 
which limited circulation areas are usually those that are injured. What, what was the yeah. name of that? We were talking about that a few weeks ago. You mentioned that to Laura and I. What was the name of the um the the website or whatever? You need to go check that out. I've forgotten. There's a couple of them that have devices like this. MRS is I, I MRS is one of them. Uh, the other one that I, I have both, and the other one I have is through Oxford Medical. It's called an Omni. But there are a variety of products out on the market. Beamer, they came out of, of Europe, so they're very popular in Europe. Hmm. Went into horse racing, which a lot of, I hate to say it, everyone, but most great advances in uh, sports healthcare comes out of veterinary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've heard you know, that. You have horse racing, and so there's a lot of treatment techniques and modalities in particular not so much with you know the use of your hands, but of, of technology. A lot of it comes out of veterinary and horse racing. Hmm. And so this one's very popular that way. And I was uh, introduced to it kind of back in Beijing. And to be honest, initially, the thought of, you know, it's magnetic. And I, I had to sit on a, on a uh, advisory panel way back in the day and talk about magnet magnetic therapy. And so the word magnet just kind of turned me away. But uh, since I was told I was in charge of it, I was forced to look into it. And this back in 08, I did a, a lit search, uh, which is a literature search for uh, peer-reviewed research articles. And the time, there were over 30,000, and which is pretty substantial, not pretty substantial, it's, it's really overwhelming. It's a, it's a huge amount. Now, of that 30,000, I didn't consider there to be like any great quality studies, but the volume of them and the consistency of them you know, great, gave it a lot of good validity. But as you come back to PEMF, I just found that it's cheap, safe, and uh, it's a great way to kind of cheat the recovery system. So it helps circulate oxygen, helps get the tissues reoxygenated, uh, move circulation around. It can affect brainwave patterns, alpha, data, uh, alpha, beta, delta, and theta brainwaves. Both of those respond to whether you want to upregulate someone, make them more alert, or downregulate them and get them into recovery mode and kind of get them into a vegetative state. So you can kind of play around with it for whatever your goals are, or you can just bring them through all four cycles and make them feel like they've had, you know, a good night's sleep. That's awesome. And, uh, well, what I might do is have people, they can always jump on the Any Question app, you know, your, your DR Ted, Dr. Ted on the Any Question app, and you, you can even show them uh, if they want to ask you questions about that, you can show them what you're using and how to use it and that kind of thing. That'd be, that'd actually be a great question. I'm going to, yeah, I'll encourage everybody to go check it out there. If you've got questions more about the PMNF mats and stuff, maybe ask you there, it'd be good because then you can show it. Yeah, it is, it's really a different thing, but I, I, during COVID, it was fantastic because it's a, it's a great way, you know, COVID, during the pandemic, you really want to try to maximize your immune system and not get to the point where you're really going too deep in the tank of, of fatigue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess no one knows that more than you right now, huh, Greg? I think you had a pretty good bout of it. Yeah, we've had it a couple of times. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Is that mit? Is it much like the? You know, we've had suggestions that we should be getting in the infrared saunas. Um, I've had the dry sauna conversations, the infrared saunas. Is it doing the similar kind of thing, or is it? Are they totally different? It, you know, in, in big picture, yes, there's some similarities in terms of how it aids your recovery and physiology, but it's a different mechanism. Right. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you get kind of a, just like, you know, if you eat food of any type, you're going to get 
a similar result, but if the quality of the food is different. Mm. And so I, I definitely like the sauna and I definitely, I like the ice bath. I think that combining the two is an amazing way to add recovery. Oh, yeah. And especially for kicking out, you know, that ice bath is really going to kick out some uh, white blood cells. So I think that's a great way to, you know, speed up your recovery as well as improve your immune system. I love the, all of that. I, I haven't been very good about it. I'm not going to lie these last couple of months. It's like, I kind of, I'm like, we got a lot of catching up here to do. And, um, you know, just getting the, the infrared sauna, the ice bath, potentially having a PMNF mat. And I think there's, there's so much that we can be doing just that it'll help us just get to, I love this word, you know, neutral, but just getting that, the body back, uh, to a point that, is, is healthier across all spectrums. I like all that stuff too, but you know, the rally is, but it takes a lot of time. So yeah, unless no, you're a pro athlete yeah, yeah. Right? and you know, it's, it's hard to fit all that in. And then you have to have a sauna, it takes up space. <laughs> you have to have the electrical set up in your house. And then you have to have your ice bath and that takes a good, a great ice maker or, you know, what, uh, convert a, a, a box freezer into an ice bath somewhere out in your yard. If you're not living in a, in a place that has that accessibility, it could be tough, but yeah. you know, fortunately the PEMF mats, they've gotten to where they're smaller in size. So you can actually, you know, cart them around and fly with them. So from yeah. an athlete standpoint, it's easy. Also, it's a great tool for a traveling athlete to get back on the time zone. Mm. So that's one of the really things I like about it. Cause it, it does kind of like, I find that it can help you get back at like a day or two early to hard training when you're shifting time zones. Oh, I'm going to try that one. That one, that one seems the most accessible for all of us. Actually on that, let's nudge into, you know, things that athletes, you know, that are listening right now. And and there's a lot of triathletes and runners and, and, you know, even motorsport, everybody's listening, but what are some key things that people can kind of do for their, to just keep their body moving. You know, you're an expert in areas, you know, like I said in the introduction, taping and grass and and all these other massage, dry needling, is that one? I mean, and I think even I've heard you, you know, speak about the the BFR, the blood flow restrictive type training. What, What kind of things would stand out to you that you're like, okay, people should kind of lean into these areas if they want to sort of maintain or even improve, you know, the, the way their body's moving. Well, I, I think that you kind of talked a little bit about it when you talked about the, you know, the sauna is like part of it. There's a lot of really amazing technology out there and some new things, but then you have how accessible is it? How easy is it? You know, can you yeah. put this into your normal routine? I think there has to be a lot of reality in life and, you know, whether you're, you know, an elite athlete who's traveling. So you have to have something that travels easily uh, if you're like everyone else in the world, then you have to have something that you can work around with family or work or, or, you know, and your training schedule. So I, I really think that kind of some of the basics and, uh, I used to also work for major league soccer and I thought they had a great policy. So every athlete that didn't uh, foam roll got charged 50 bucks. So not that you need to have that level of motivation at home, but I, I a foam roller is very inexpensive it travels easily. If I'm traveling, I'll use a hollow one so I can stuff things inside of it. Mm. Just being able to, I call it the early identification. So you can foam roll out, especially after traveling, you want to move circulation around. So that's where you're kind of rolling up and down mm-hmm. and doing what would mimic effleurage or long strokes that move fluid around. So it works great with fluid dynamics and getting you know swelling and lymphatic fluids that are gravity dependent to shift around in your body and get back into circulation so you can process it. When you find tender points, then I like to have people hold on to those points 
<laughs> until they relax and then stretch out muscle. Easier so said than like, done. <laughs> absolutely. That takes a little more motivation, right? Yeah. You have to, that has your legs twitching and looking like a, a dying frog on the on the carpet. But those are some of the great areas. And there's usually some key points for most people. You know, if you go statistically, everyone's sitting. So now they have some areas that are going to be tight on you, which is usually going to be your hip flexors, your calves, your chest and upper back. To work the foam roller into those areas, I think if nothing else, if you don't do anything else, hitting those targets on a consistent, regular basis is huge. And and we kind of look at, you know, you hit on the point of what do the greats typically, what do they have in common? Mm. I've noticed that the greats are all people that I've worked with anyhow, that they just did this stuff second nature. You didn't have to be told. They just, you know, would just pull it out and just start rolling around. Hmm. You know, I, I think the most, the Med Kofleski, I think was the person that I saw doing this. Uh, uh, we're in the middle of a camera shoot and he just pulls out the foam roll. He's like, yep, time for me to foam roll. And he just carries on the conversation, <laughs> signs autographs with people going by while he's on the foam roller. It's, it was, it was brilliant. That's awesome. I love that. It's for me, it's funny, you know, because I was kind of the athlete that's almost, it almost got in my head a little bit, you know, I was like, oh, these athletes that are constantly doing these little things. I'm like, oh, can't we just relax for a second? You know, for me, it almost worked in, it, it worked against me. And I can say that now because I'm retired, but it was like, I always felt like I should be doing more, you know, and it's like, I don't have the energy for that, you know, because it does take a bit of energy, but the ones that can get into the habit of doing it is, is, and we talk about that word habit, you know, you can do it without even that you realize you don't even think you're doing it. Like we got in the habit of doing the trigger point roller stuff. So, you know, the calf rollers and the quad rollers. Right. And um, I, I, to the point, I had to do it before every run and every bike. It was almost like my warm up, you know, to just soften up the the quads and the calves. And, and it, it truly worked. It truly, truly worked. And it, it was affordable to do and it was easy to do. And we did it every single morning for probably a good 15 years. It's an absolutely, you know, great product. And, you know, for listeners at home, you know, it's, it's a great way to, to manage it. Yeah. I use that in my car while I'm driving. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm manipulating that around. I'm trying to get, you know, you only have so much time in the day. Yeah, exactly. but I think the key thing that I saw with those guys, you know, they didn't stress it. So if you miss it, so what? Mm-hmm. You know, just pick it up. But, you know, they didn't stress that it has to be done or it just was something that was so casual for them. It just flowed right into their routine. Yeah. So it wasn't someone something that they had to like really think through what they did on each and every session. Mm. So I think that, you know, foam rolling is and trigger points a great way. It's an inexpensive way to, but more importantly, it's an early detection system. So you're gonna find things that, oh wait, this is starting to, you know, this has never hurt before when I've rolled across this. Now it's been painful. And and so I can put it onto your radar that you either need to manage this a little bit better in terms of soft tissue work, or maybe, you know, take a little time off. I'm going to say something that amateurs, uh, you know, if you're an amateur, brace yourself, you might have to take a day off. And that's one of the big differences between amateurs and pros is pros are actually pretty good about taking time off to recover. Yeah. And uh, amateurs absolutely stress it out. It's just amazing. And so I always bring up the point of, you know, and ask them, it's like, well, so, how much money do you make by doing that, you know, that run or that triathlon? And then <laughs> and, and like, there's like nothing. So like, you know, well, if the pros who make a lot of money doing this, 
don't stress taking a day off. Why, why do you? And mm. so I try to get that perspective in there. No, I like, I, I like that perspective. It's easier said than done again. It's one of those Absolutely. things you, you kind of, you, you, I, I was somebody that I don't know if I had many days off in sort of the 27 years I raised, I, but they were, I had very light days. I was, I, I, I the way I learned with my body that it actually, I would find, even if it was just a, a sort of a one mile run walk around the lake, or I'd even call it popping more than running. You know, it was like just that kind of a thing. I or a dive in the pool and just swim. I would swim 500 meters to, uh, to a kilometer, which when you're, when you're swimming a lot, that doesn't even sound like it's worth doing. But I found just doing that on the, on my days off was enough to keep the blood flow going and, and the body moving very rarely did I take full days off because I actually was somebody that used to be fairly bound that I I noticed it a little, a little bit more. Laura took more days off than I did and, and she responded well to those days off whereas I needed to always do that tiny tiny bit, little bit of light work. And, and I think that's going back to like you talked about earlier about every athlete knows their body and they're all unique and different and, um, and what works for one doesn't always work for the other. Everyone has their own, you know, some athletes do, say for example, Tour de France, some athletes do well coming after that that day off some of them do horribly after yeah, that day it's off it's true isn't it yeah yeah i'm i'm a big proponent of active recovery yeah me so too so on that day off that's going to be doing something that's very light very casual or maybe something different you yeah know? yeah exactly just, just a completely different activity than you would normally do but just don't power through it yeah and uh it's a good point so i think it's you know, I just think that active recovery is a, is a great thing. There's one one stretch we haven't talked about that I, I, you know, you've talked about the rollers and things like that. And I don't know if you were the original one that really got me doing it, but the the, the, PN, the psoas PNF stretch, um, you know, anybody that might be dealing with any kind of sciatic nerve pinch or sciatic, you know, for triathletes, for sure, the psoas is such a powerful muscle. We develop it so much in the, in the cycling. And we're in that cycling position that our hip flexors get quite, tight and short and then you have to stand up and run and you know if that psoas and hip flexors are tight you know you you're you get all sorts of issues whether it be sciatic i think a lot of achilles injuries are because you know you've you've sort of that you're so tight on the front end that it gets overstretched on the back end um and i did notice on any question you answered somebody actually asked you you know what's a good stretch for sciatic pain and and you mentioned that you know really opening up the psoas so i just wanted to drop that in there as we talk about things that we can all do to keep keep our body moving forward at the end of the day a lot of things that we you know you think oh it's good you're going to stretch what hurts but really at the end of the day a lot of times what hurts is the symptom and the cause is maybe on the opposite, the opposite side, side. And i feel like that's almost 90 percent of the time maybe that's not maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration but i feel like laura and i the way we actually treat it be like oh i'm sore here and we're like okay it must be the other side like we we tend right. to have that mindset we always go to the opposite of whatever it is you know that's actually you know i'm not sure what the percentage would be but that's going to be pretty high you know you think of like upper back pain while you stretch your chest exactly and you know, and, and hip flexor is a big catch for a ton of things, particularly for, for cycling and triathlon. And, you yeah. know, the other thing with, with triathlon is just that tight hip flexor. It just now you have that tight hip in the pool. Yeah. And so how much drag that you have, you're creating by mm. by dragging around a hip pelvis, which is just taking up a lot of, of uh, you know, fluid dynamics to push water yeah, around that sure. butt that's up in the air. So, so, you know, going back to the foam rolling and, and doing the trigger points, like you identify these areas and 
you know, those are areas that are really easy and effective to then put kinesiology tape on because kinesiology tape on tight structures are really effective for increasing tissue length. And so if we go back to that, when you're talking about PNF stretching, which is kind of the gold standard in stretching is uh, on hamstrings, it shows a, uh, I recall the study showed is 108.7% length change. Uh, and it's most effective for a like two to three minute span. So it's right before you're going to go out and compete. PNF stretch, absolutely. But if it's longer than that, then actually surprisingly, putting tape over it uh, shows a 129.6% length change, which is just astronomical wow. in terms of the amount of, of range of motion, which changed our whole concept, well, at least changed my concept of what happens when we're stretching. Because I used to think of like we're taking the muscle follicles that act in myosin and we're lengthening or separating them. And now what I think is happening is that we're getting a neurologic response and that neurologic response is allowing us to move in what we perceive as a safe range of motion. And it's kind of funny, Greg, because I'm sure you don't remember this, but years ago you talked about some of the differences between uh, chiropractors and physios and uh, Australia versus the U.S. and the Australians are really big into neuro. And that kind of made me look in that direction a lot more. And, and I think about that whenever I think about, wow, there's a all the neurology that takes place with the use of, of tape. That's is, fascinating. Is, uh, Wait, hang on, hang on. Uh, I just want to go back to those numbers. 129%. That, has it been looked at by WADA and, and performance enhancing? I know it's not a drug, but is that, does that come under the umbrella of performance enhancing? Well, it, you know, if you look at that, then you have to kind of step back to, you know, our super shoes and the oh. swimsuits. And oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I was, I was involved in the swimsuits back in the like, 2000. Yeah. I worked with Nike and Jansport with the panel designs on the full body swimsuits and you know, at the end of the day, Speedo really championed that and came out with a, a, an amazing product. But it also was too amazing, and, and it was banned at the end of the day. And part of why it was banned is it's so expensive. You know, if we're talking about in the late 90s and early 80s, a swimsuit was going to be $4,000. And, you know, not everyone can afford that. Well, plus, they started, plus they started interjecting, um, there was neoprene. You could, they, they, right. they had like one millimeter one millimeter of neoprene in these suits and, and, and they were, they were truly, these speed suits were, yeah, they, I mean, we, we were able to wear them for a while, even in triathlon after they were banned in swimming, you know, in some of our events. And so I always had, had one of those neoprene, you know, one millimeter suits, even for a non-wetsuit swim. It was like, you're crazy not to. Right. They're oxygen filling. So you float so much better. Oh yeah. And, and then you have the compression. So it reduces turbulence yeah. off of your breast and butt and, yeah, yeah. and some of those areas. And then you get the benefit of the parallel elastic fibers of the, the material. So that material will aid your endurance, your proprioception, which is your ability to feel where your body is in space. You can use it depending upon how you apply it to also increase some strength too at times. It just made ridiculous changes in performance. And at the end of the day, it got banned. And now we're looking at super shoes. Oh, tell me, and, hang on. Let's talk about those super shoes because my experience in them is like, oh, man, it's unbelievable, the the difference. It's it's pretty crazy. And it's kind of funny because I'm looking at one right now on, the, on top of my file cabinet. And when I, when I first saw that, I thought, oh, this – for your mechanics in particular, would have been a great, oh. this would be, a, would have been a game changer for you. It would have been a game changer. I hit, I hit the ground so hard that any rebound effect would have been 
you know, my timing isn't perfect on the ground, but I, I hit pretty hard and it would have been absolutely, I mean, I, I probably could have got injured. Or, yeah, I would have needed your help to make sure I had the right, you know, the right shoe and the right fit. But um, yeah, unbelievable. Well, they, they also create a little bit better transition. So that, yeah. that roll onto the That's foot, right. Which, it's like a 10 mil drop or something, isn't it? Right. So for you, that might have been good. Oh. And what would have been interesting is see how that would work for Laura, because you and Laura have complete you know, very yeah. different mechanics. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if it would quite have that same benefit for Laura. Mm. The difference with the super shoes is that they're a lot more cost, you know, achievable. So a wider breadth of athletes could afford them. Now, here's the other question, though, is like a small, I think at the end of the day, a smaller breadth of of athletes would benefit from them. You right? know? So, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I, I just question, I don't know, if, you know, there was no research out there to, to state this, but I question how beneficial it would be for some of the age groupers that are say running, say a six or seven minute mile oh, pace. Or, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, maybe yeah. like seven or eight minute mile pace and, and that are maybe in a Clydesdale category where they're heavy. And well, that's about me just, these days. All of what you just said yeah. summarizes me. <laughs> I, I agree. I don't think putting me yeah. in a super shoe right now is going to help my 5k any more than probably just doing some training for a few months might help. <laughs> so. Right. Exactly. But I, I think some of those people are just going to crush it out. You yeah, know, if yeah. you look at the geometry of a, of an elite athlete, which is what these are designed for. And it's, it's a much different geometry for than someone who's, well, like my age mm. and, uh, and has a few extra LVs on and, you know, they're running substantially <laughs> slower. I love it, mate. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot today. What's next for you? What do you got coming up? Uh, let's see. Next up for me is a Prefontaine track classic, which is in Eugene. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite events. It's oh, yeah. the, uh, you know, the premier track and field event in North, North America. And, uh, so I'm excited to play around with that. We just had a, uh, a premiere of a documentary on, uh, sports chiropractic that kind of surrounded, uh, the Prefontaine track classic. So there's a full history. So that will actually come out at the end of the month too. So that's kind cool. of excited about that. Yeah. It's really yeah. fun. It goes through a little bit of the history of chiropractic, how it came about. I mean, it really, you know, it goes back to, to Babe Ruth era. Babe Ruth's athletic trainer was a chiropractor. And then it goes back into, you know, people like Dwight Stones, a high jumper, and some of the great athletes of the uh, 70s that were willing to boycott and because their uh, chiropractor wasn't allowed into the Montreal Olympics. And wow. So yeah. it touches on a lot of that and both different perspectives, as well as a lot of our current athletes are going to be featured in there. And to me, this is really remarkable because the, the, athletes were really wanting to be a part of this and their sponsors were uh willing to waive a lot to allow their athletes to be a part of it That's so, so it's really cool. kind of a i can understand that though it's like if if they'd asked us you know you and alex for sure you know it was so much about our t team and our any success we had. It was because of you guys. It's like that ability to keep showing up, to keep turning up and get more out of yourself. We can't thank you enough. I mean, honestly, it's uh, our, our, our careers and the longevity we had was, you know, largely in part because of you and, and obviously you know, Alex Keith here in Florida. And, you know, so we appreciate you guys so much. Right? It doesn't surprise me that you've got athletes uh, uh, sort of jumping to and saying, hey, we want to be a part of this this episode, this show as well. That's cool. I love it. It's a, it's a fun experience. And I tell you, like, you know, working with athletes like yourself, it's so much fun on the practitioner side. 
Mm. It hones our skills and it, it allows us to uh, practice at a higher level, which I think in turn comes around to help a lot of other people because because I sharpen my skills on uh, an elite athlete that I feel like, it, you know, at the end of the day, it helps me become a better practitioner. And, and I think a little bit more out of the box. You're working with an, uh, an elite athlete, you have to be a little bit of a MacGyver. You've got to figure things out, especially if you're working at an event where you don't mm. have all of your equipment available. So you've got to, you know, maybe come up with little solutions. I mean, I, there are times where I've actually, there's one marathoner where I treated him by sticking a quarter underneath, taping a quarter underneath his insole. And, <laughs> and, and, and he got through the race and it, it, it was hilarious because he came back later on and he brought me a roll of quarters. He goes, yeah, you, you got a little interest on that one. <laughs> that, that is awesome. I love that. I mean, yeah, the MacGyver type thing. I mean, for the young folk out there, that was a great TV show of the eighties. <laughs> MacGyver, he always came up with very clever ways of solving problems. Right. Well, they, they have their own new version on now. It's, uh, oh, do they really? Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I've missed, I've missed a whole generation of TV, but mate, um, Ted, thanks so much for coming on and sharing just, you know all your knowledge and your journey um and again like i said earlier thank you for everything you did for laura and i over the last well 15 20 years it's been it's been a real pleasure mate well thank you so much it's, it's always just amazing and enlightening to chat with you and uh, uh i've been super excited to follow your journey through the uh, uh be with champions podcast it's yeah it's, just an amazing depth of people that you have. I just love it. Oh, thanks, buddy. Well, everybody, um, thank you for listening. You can actually go to any question, um, download any question. You can find Dr. Ted Forkham on there and you can ask him any follow-up questions there. He's already got so many great answers on there. You can go check them all out. Um, you can also go find all the show notes and timestamps and links and everything at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right, Ted. That was awesome, mate. Cheers. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time. And I hope you will join Greg again very soon.